Welcome to the Living the Present Moment podcast. I'm Dr. Joel Ying, your host today. There are some stories that you don't really know until you've heard it directly from the people that have lived it. Growing up, I knew my parents' story of immigration from the bits and pieces of overheard conversation, stories gathered secondhand, told by other relatives or other friends, and those gaps that I filled in with similar stories that I had heard from other places. You see, as far as I could piece together, my parents left Jamaica to escape political violence and a failing economy, to find a better place and a better future for their children. Well, in June 2016, on my way to a storytelling open mic with the theme Fathers, I stopped at my parents' house for lunch. The Moth is a nonprofit that promotes true stories told live. But I could not think of a story to tell that evening. I had a sudden epiphany. Talk to your father to get a story about fathers. So I sat with my parents in that family room with the TV off, something strange for them, of course. But I began to ask a few questions. The seed for this story began as they opened up and told me the story for the first time in their own words. And I suddenly realized that I had not heard it from them. On one level, I had known the story, but I really didn't understand the emotional truth until after that conversation. I could still see my father in my mind's eye, thoughtfully searching for the words to answer my questions, and my mom sitting on the other side of the living room, interjecting her own words with a humorous smile. I still did not have a story ready to tell for that June's 2016 event. However, the seed for this story had already started to grow. Several months later, the open mic theme was money. And with the realization that money was another theme in this story, I crafted an initial version. I put my name in the basket for the Moth Story Slam, but I was not one of the lucky ones chosen that night. Fortunately, I have made my own luck. As a producer of storytelling events, I have found many other venues and audiences to tell this story over the years. As a living entity, this story and many of my stories continue to grow, expanding, changing, flowering, and often getting pruned or trimmed. Here is a current version. I call this story Love or Money. I stood at the top, frozen in fear. My head was saying, this is going to be cool. The rest of me was saying, you are an idiot. I was standing at the top of Reach Falls, a spectacular 25-foot waterfall that cascades down a cliff into a crystal clear emerald pool surrounded by lush tropical paradise on the island of Jamaica. Staring at the rocks scattered at the bottom, all I could see were images of my mangled body. When I came in, I saw someone jump, and so I knew that you could do it. But as I looked down now, I thought they would have to call my parents and tell them he was brave, he was loving, he was stupid. 
but my eyes fixed on that small spot where it was safe to land. I gathered my courage. I took a deep breath. And I stepped. I stepped. I stepped away from that edge. Well, just then, a Jamaican girl in her 20s arrives with her boyfriend. She calmly walks over the edge, looks down and says, Not for love or money. She sees me watching and I'm smiling. She looks back at her boyfriend, looks down again. Well, maybe for money. I mean, depends on how much, right? Jamaicans are colorful and humorous. There is truth in humor. In a country of have a lot and have not a thing, money is very important. As I stood on that cliff, I thought of Jamaica and I thought of my father. You see, I was born in Jamaica. My parents left when I was only six years old. But almost every summer we'd return to visit grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. But we lived in the city of Kingston, not this lush tropical paradise. Kingston's an urban city with half a million people, rich homes going up the mountainside, shanty towns in that urban sprawl. My parents had very little, but they would work hard to make a life for themselves. In 1971, Jamaica, my dad found a counter shop that he wanted to convert into a supermarket. Instead of ordering what you want from the counter, you'd pick up what you want and take it to the register. Supermarkets were a new thing. We didn't have any money, said my dad, so we had to use our brains. My dad went to Grace Kennedy, a supplier of supermarket goods. He told him about the busy location, the bus stop, the intersection. Whoa, 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 they said. We can give you goods, but we can't buy the place for you. We can send you to a place to get a loan. The Bank of Chicago agreed to give them a loan for $32,000, a huge amount in those days. But they could only get a four-year mortgage, and the down payment was $10,000. They didn't have the money. So they went to the Royal Bank of Canada. My mother's brother stood security with his homeless collateral, and they got a loan for the down payment. They got a loan to get a loan. As one of my friends said, they were 100% leveraged. My dad built the fixtures, the counters and shelves himself. My mom worked the register. My dad managed the store. They lived in the attached apartment in the rear. In those days, he said, we worked the life out of our bones. The mortgage payment was $500 a month. I didn't want your mom to have any headache, said my dad. So I took the worry myself. Each month, squirreling away what they would need. For the mortgage. How much is $500? From the top of her head, my mom could still recite. 40 bags of cornmeal, 50 bags of sugar, 60 bags of flour. She knew how much they had to sell. But with a busy location and now able to get goods on credit from Grace Kennedy, the supermarket succeeded. My parents were successful business people. They did so well, that's when they started to do deliveries. And that's when they got the blue and white VW van that I remember. It was $2,601, said my dad. Where'd you get the money, I said. My mom smiles. We were now good customers with the bank. 
However, the political and economic climate in Jamaica in the 1970s was unstable. Political factions were fighting, unemployment was high, and so was crime. One day, after closing up the supermarket, my dad was taking his own father home and dropping off workers along the way, as usual. At Longston Road and Diveny Road, a motorcycle came out of nowhere. My dad slammed on the brakes. A crowd of people suddenly appeared. My dad opened the door, and he says, Before my foot even touched the ground, they had him up in the air. He saw knives. They beat him took his wallet, and left almost as quickly as they had come. His face bruised, eyes swollen, swollen shut, uh, injuries all over. The hospital told him nothing was physically broken. A couple days later, the owner of the motorbike came to the shop and demanded money. They'd gotten the address from the driver's license. He said his bike was damaged. My dad says, I never touched his bike. My mother's brother told him, just give them something and forget about it. What happened next, I said. Your mom was held up two times at the counter. She was working the register pregnant with your brother. I did not see the first time, but I was there the second time. And I saw the gunman put the gun to her head. And that's when I said, money can't buy life. Money can't buy life. My parents began the long process of moving to the United States. What makes a person pack up and leave the only life that they know? A country that they were born in, a culture that they grew up in, the close support of family and friends, a business and careers. What would make you leave your life today? Years ago in my twenties, standing on the edge of Reach Falls. I thought of Jamaica, I thought of my father, and I thought of courage. I took a deep breath, and I jumped the thrilling twenty-five feet into the cool, clear water, just for the sheer joy and excitement of it. My father, he's never been to Reach Falls. But in those late 70s, leaving Jamaica, I picture him coming to the edge. He can see the rocks he needs to avoid and the safe spot that he needs to land in. As he takes a step off the cliff, I know that he would say, not for money, but for love, only for love. Not for money, but for love, only for love.